welcome to One Inch Past Scary podcast. I'm Kirsty Sayer. I'm here with my beloved brother, Seth, who is not just beloved to me, but now to so many of you. He has, by popular demand, <laughs> been um, invited back for another. I hope this is just one of a series, Seth. I have secret. Hopefully, I have secret yeah. plans to draw you into my podcast web, <laughs> and so I'm so Sounds I'm fun. so thrilled that you're back with us. Seth had a wonderful um, theme that he sort of brought to me when I said, "Please, can you come back for another episode?" He said, "Yeah, let me think about you know the topic." I I I gave him the option of of choosing the topic as I usually do for people, and um, mm-hmm. he brought a topic to me today that I have been focusing so, so preoccupied with so many of the things that you wanted to cover myself so i feel like it's it's one that people need to hear and cool. so go Thanks. for it seth uh, take it away so you know i think you you naturally tend to want to talk about what you're working on yes. um at any given point in time and so what i'm trying to focus on at the moment is being present in my life and not projecting into the future. I think I spent uh, a lot of time earlier on in my life um, ruminating over the past. And when I beat that habit, I thought I had kind of got the, you know, I'd, I'd kind of beaten the problem until I realized that my next vice was constantly projecting into the future. And even if you're doing so positively, whether you're busy planning your business or you're planning the wonderful, you know, relationship or the home you're going to build or whatever it is. If you're stuck in the future, you're still not in the present. So I wanted to talk about the vulnerability and joy of living in the present moment. I love it. And it does take vulnerability. It takes some courage because I think when we, um, when we don't live in the present, it's, um, it's because we're afraid to, it's afraid to meet with ourselves there. It's mm. afraid to just be still Absolutely. with ourselves in the present. And it's, it's this distraction. It's a coping mechanism to ruminate on what has gone and, before or what might happen in the future, even if it's scary. And I think, I think also the sense of if you, if you don't feel mm. you might cognitively assent to the idea, but if you don't feel like you're enough, then you wouldn't sit with yourself in the present. Um, And so, you know, for me, it always looked like over the last few years, it looked like me fantasizing about a future state when I've built a business to a certain extent or when my family, um, we have some certainty in terms of where we're staying with us having moved over to the States or when we've, you know, got a house and paid off the mortgage or whatever the case may be fantasizing about a future state where what I've done is enough mm. and I can kind of call myself a success. Um, because your accomplishments make you so. Exactly. And that's a facade. Mm. Um, it's a, you know, it's a, it's an elusive, you know, phantom. You, you, you never achieve that point. No, and so being in the present and necessitates becoming comfortable with who you are right now and if you constantly feel like you're not enough, that's going to be a very uncomfortable place to be. And I think it's such a radical concept to so many of us that we are enough, fully enough, just by virtue mm. of being here. Like, that's it. The prize has been won. You're good. You are here. You are fully worthy and fully completely enough just because you're here, just by virtue of being alive and by virtue of existing. Um, you're a complete human you do not have to prove any worthiness through accomplishments and through gains or through whatever it is that's just such a radical Mm. it's almost an impossible concept to grasp it's and it still feels even as you voiced it it still feels like hold on scary and foreign to me yes and it's like it's it's throwing up all sorts of like that's garbage (laughs) like i can't make sense of that yeah because i think what we do with that Exactly. Yeah. Cop out. Yeah. What we do with that is we say we we equate that kind of thinking with someone who's not at all aspirational in terms of their value system, in terms of their um, ambition, etc., etc. So if I'm enough, 
then you're saying that I can just sit on a couch and exist. Um, But that's not what it's saying. It's saying, you know, hold to your aspirations and be constantly striving um, to evolve as a person. um, But accept that it's okay to be where you are. I remember once I was, um, I was sitting in church actually, and a lady used those words. She said, it's okay to be where you are right now. Mm -hmm. And it was so forceful because we, we tend to berate ourselves for not being further along. May I, may I like offer up something that I was talking to Ella about this morning, just sort of for us, Mm. for those of us who are like kind of feeling the earth move under our feet at the, at the like, horror of hearing the words here it's enough to be what you are because it's just so not what our society tells us um this morning i was talking to ella just about whoop, there's your that's my you're in high demand apologies no problem no. <laughs> no it's probably a machine so um and and really i don't need to tell you what led up to it or anything like that but i told her about how when we're born Nobody looks at this baby and goes, well, this baby is of very little worth because look at it. It lies there. It just lies there. Mm. <laughs> what has it done? Mm. What is it doing? Well, it, it's so small. It's just being there. It's just literally taking up space. But we look at it as, as this, this human of infinite and wonderful worth and potential. And we're just like, wow, this baby is most certainly enough. And that baby is just taking up space. It's breathing in and out Mm. and it's growing, Mm. but we're perfectly fine with how that infant is. We're like, look at you right in that moment. We're just enjoying and cherishing that baby. And I don't know when it all gets lost and so confused and people just refuse to see where they are now as, you're still a you're this wonderful, worthy, gorgeous individual, because nothing has changed. No. You're still the baby that you were. You're just on another day. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know, I think sometimes, absolutely. I think sometimes our sort of societal rhetoric around you can be anything you want to be um, sometimes breeds this, where there's a concept of um, you know you can go out and be the greatest scientist the world has ever known. You could go and invent something. You could become, you know, a powerful advocate for children's rights. You could, and we only express achievement in terms of like hyperbole, these, yes. And so we're, we're not talking about, you can become everything that you, you know, essentially were meant to be, whether that is, you know, for me, a mindful parent, Mm -hmm. you know, if I can evolve into being a mindful parent who, who raises children with a sense of self-worth and worthiness and with the ability to, you know, um, self-actualize, we don't talk with the ability to self-actualize. Yes. Yeah. And, and I think we talk, and this is something I actually wanted to talk about, is switching from a destination mindset to a process and mindset. A present mindset. And that, that's really coming back to it, is staying in the present. I always, I've tried really to switch to, to my kids to say, I'll know that you've arrived, you've re- reached the pinnacle of success in your experience, in this earth experience here. Um, when you can fully accept your enoughness and the Mm. same is true for me when I really inherently feel my full sense of worth that's when I'll feel like I've arrived and the thing is everything else that happens after that is such gravy and it happens so naturally the more I feel a sense of worthiness the more nothing frightens me the more the less Mm. my potential frightens me so I think Mm. you know when we block ourselves and we self-sabotage and we don't do all those things is because we both have we have this not both of us but we have two things going on we do not have the sense of our own worth and we have this Mm. sense of worth is gained through extremely 
you know, well, just her external things. And the Mm -hmm. two of those don't jive well at all, which is why you have to start with the sense of worth. And then everything else is easily accessible. Then you can do whatever it is Mm -hmm. that you feel called to do because there's no fear. You feel completely capable and you go after what you really are sent here to do. And the rest of it, and and if it's not what you're not, if it's not what you're sent here to do, you don't, it falls away. You don't feel a great sense of like desperation or striving. I, I've tried to take the word striving out of my personal vocabulary because mm-hmm. it doesn't jive. It really doesn't jive with what um, I feel what happens once the sense of worth kicks in. Tell me. Tell you? Yeah, tell me. Tell me what you mean by that. Okay, so. I feel like when I have the sense of worth, you know, when I'm really working on that and I get glimpses of it, just tiny little glimpses. Mm-hmm. I'm so far from it, but I get these tiny little glimpses. I, I relax into that sense of worth, right? I can mm-hmm. just breathe into that sense of worth. And then the next right thing just presents itself in front of me. And I don't have to reach mm-hmm. and grasp for it. I just do it. And then lo and behold, it opens up another right thing in front of me. And I do that too. And it's just this lovely, well, peaceful sense of symbiosis. <laughs> yeah, I think that's, sorry, I'm, I'm cutting you off. No, and that's, and that's what I mean. So striving to me always meant reaching. Okay. So it doesn't work for me because you don't have to do the stretching reaching. Sometimes the thing right in front of you, the task that you're doing is quite hard and challenging. Um, Mm. but I'm not reaching for it because it's right there in front of me. And so I'm working hard and I'm focused on it and I'm engaged with it. And let me tell you, it takes effort, you know, it's, there's not that, but it doesn't feel like it's outside of my grasp. I already have it. I'm just working hard on it. (laughs) So is that, is that that. hard? Is that articulated in an accessible way at all? Yes, absolutely. Because I think where I um, have kind of sabotaged myself a lot is that I've wanted to see the end from the beginning and I won't embark on a road unless I know exactly where it's going, how long it's going to take and what's involved to get there. And what that does is it just keeps you frozen. Yes. Um, and the- too scared, you know, too scared to put in the work, too scared to take the risks. Um, so I told you about I, the quote, the could... Joseph Campbell quote that I was telling you so this me. morning. If the path ahead of you can be seen, it's not your path because you lay your path. I'm totally paraphrasing this. But you let your path yeah. one footstep at a time. And that's what I mean by the next best, the next footstep will, will reveal itself to you after the first footstep. So it's yeah. never overwhelming. Yeah. You know, if I can get personal for a moment, um, Please do. our family it kind of was obliged because of visa constraints and stuff um, to come over to the States um, and renew my wife's um, South African visa from here. It was declined and we were banned from re-entering South Africa for five years. So all of a sudden we find ourselves in the States. Um, At that point, I need to then apply for residency here. Um, With everything that was going on, I kind of took longer than I should to send in my papers. Um, Long and the short is that we've, we've been here for 18 months and I only start work next month. So it's been kind of a long, long jaunt in the wilderness, so to speak. Yes. And from the moment we arrived, I was trying to grasp at certainty by contriving the ending. Okay, the reason this has happened is because this is what's Mm. meant to happen. And I would constantly be trying to project forward and say, okay, this is how it's going to pan out. This is how long it's going to take. This is where we're going to end up. Um, And I feel like in my life, um, you know, whether you call it the universe or God, I feel like my higher power was leaving me in this state of limbo until I learned to embrace the uncertainty of what lay ahead. Because while I tried to plan everything, I mean, it was ridiculous. I would work out a financial route of what we were going to earn in the future based on what business I was going to build. And then I would go looking for houses, you know, as if knowing what house I was going to live in would suddenly make the fear of not knowing what our next step is more bearable. Um, And 
eventually I learned to let go of all of that nonsense and just say, I have no idea what next month is going to bring, but I can live today and I can make today a good day by getting some exercise, meditating, being present when the kids get back from school and spending quality time with them, cooking a well, you know, a healthy meal. Um, and I found purpose in the present. And only then did our circumstances clear up to where I could say, okay, I could see something working out, but I still don't know what exactly it's going to be. And from the outside, while you're saying this, I'm just thinking about all the things that your being very present on a day-to-day -day basis has brought to your family. And, you know, you have sorted through so many things that needed to be sorted through in terms of health in terms of mental health, the things that needed to be unraveled, mm. you had the space and the, the, the space and the time to come and see me. And that was a very pivotal moment for my healing. It also set you on the path for your own healing, um, you know, from mm. our childhood issues. You've worked with your kids in terms of getting them diagnosed with uh, things that they needed assistance with. I mean, things that, that possibly could have taken absolute, you know, 18 months does seem like an interminable, an interminable amount of time when you don't have a job. I know that because I've been um, there for even half that time with a bunch of mm. little kids. And it's excruciating when the rest of the world, it seems to be busily doing, you know, what quote unquote is normal in terms of being, you know, full-time employment and everything. Exactly. But And, you know, if someone... Yeah, the things that the universe can reveal to you if you just sit in the moment exactly. would maybe not have happened in decades or at all. And that's Absolutely. amazing. And I think, you know, if someone, when, when we were about to fly over on our temporary holiday kind of thing, yeah. if someone had um, shown me what the future lay in terms of, oh, you're actually going to land there and you're going to be stuck for 18 months without a job, we would have been too terrified to even would take that? the next step. Exactly. It would make um, you feel so, so irresponsible to do it. Exactly. And, and I think, you know, you don't know what your future holds and it holds marvels and mysteries and wonders that you actually can't conceptualize. So while you try to contrive an ending of your own creation, you're actually sabotaging the wonder that will unfold in a way that you can't anticipate. How many people um, have you so heard say, say, say things like, I'm sorry to interrupt, but how many people have you heard say, if you had told me two years ago or two weeks ago or 20 years ago, that whatever it is, mm, that I'd be sitting absolutely. here with this person or I'd be sitting here on my private island or I'd be sitting here as, you know, whatever. I would have mm, thought you or, were crazy. That is like mm. such a cliche almost because we just, you know, we just don't know. Like you say, there is just these, this absolute wealth of possibilities and opportunities and people become what they never could have fathomed they would be. Absolutely. When they get and out of what their you own become, <laughs> yeah. yeah, what you become is, ends up being so much less dramatic and so much more dramatic in other ways than you ever could have imagined. So if I'd seen myself at this age, when I was an ambitious teenager with really good grades, yeah. planning to go out and conquer the world, um, from a sort of um, scholarly ambition point of view, I would have despaired at the thought that, you know, I'm 40 and I am in a fledgling career. Um, and yet I would have been in awe of the things that I have accomplished in other areas of my life, which I didn't even realize needed attention or were going to be so wonderful. Wow. Um, I wanted to. That's really, that's, that's, I wish you would say that again for people to like really kind of listen to, because I found this so, so true for myself too. Say Basically, your, your life ends up being so much less glamorous than the life you plot out Possibly, for yourself in high school. It might school. actually turn out to be but more glamorous. But it's so much more, you know, so much more glittering with joy and hope and profound. excitement and profound purpose and meaning um, than you could have imagined. So it's, 
less glamorous and more glamorous in other and that, ways. And that's for you, to be honest. I mean, there are people whose lives were very small and quiet. I'm thinking of like Byron Katie, I think her name is, who was like basically uh-huh. just this homeless, practically, you know, just a literal lump. She had vermin sleeping around her and then became an incredibly influential thought leader and stuff or Mm. you know there are people for whom the opposite becomes true if that is their path whatever it is that your path is but your path is indeed very very glorious no matter how it appears to other people when it's your path Mm. and that's and and i think your greatness um, is discovered in, in ways that you didn't exactly. anticipate. That's the thing. Yeah. Whatever it is that you're supposed to turn out to be is so much better than you could conceive when you do just sort of take it moment by moment and and, mm. and surrender to that moment. So let's go to speaking more about living in the present and, and, and how to mm. access that. Like, So I think it, it's, you know, we have to talk about what stops us. Okay. And for me, there are two main blockages to living in the present. The first is, um, so basically it's too uncomfortable to live in the present. Um, and I can think of two main reasons. The one is you're, you're tormented by the demons of the past. So every time you sit in, and I know people who cannot be still, because they're mm-hmm. so busy running away from what will happen in their minds mm. if they stop and mm. take a moment of quiet. Mm. So you're, you're running from the demons of the past um, or you have no faith or hope in a benevolent um, and happy future. And to me, that comes down to, you know, facing your demons on one hand and on the other hand, connected to it is embracing the benevolence of the universe and of your creator if you are you know if you are a person who believes in god so um yeah and so and and, those two things i always quote uh i always quote albert einstein who says and again i'm probably going to paraphrase this slightly but says the most important decision a human being can make in this lifetime is whether or not the universe is friendly or hostile and Mm. you know there's the greatest you know scientific brain of all time saying this but really everything does fall into place one way one in one direction or another after you determine what that is friendly or hostile truly it really makes all the difference in the world when you start living a fulfilled fulfilling life which i feel like i have been yeah. the last few years, you can look back and, and see when that pivotal moment was when you started to believe that the universe, God, had good things in store for you. Um, and, you know, again, linked back to doing your work in terms of facing your demons, um, that's very hard for someone who's come from an abusive background because it's hard to conceptualize a benevolent universe Absolutely. when your experience of the world as an infant or a child was not one of benevolence, um, but rather one of fear and, and you know, scarcity and that kind of thing. And I have to say, um, when I had my faith sort of crisis, when I abandoned my religion of my youth and really came very face to face with the abuse that I'd experienced. And, you know, and it was very much conflated in my mind with, um, you know, sort of this religious, this patriarchal religion um, Mm -hmm. and obedience and fear and all those things. I, I completely shut down that part of my heart and mind and everything that would acknowledge um, receiving anything from a guard. I had to dismantle, mm. I shut it down and then I had to um, rebuild that one. And it, and it, but the thing is, I want to give people hope because this is a very incredibly typical thing to happen to people who have had a faith crisis. And particularly if it's connected to some form of abuse, which it often mm. is, um, 
and people with complex PTSD will often just stop believing in anything benevolent out there or any guard. And, and I would have friends would say, I have faith that this is going to happen for you, that you will, you know, return to a spiritual place or whatever. And I'd be like, nope, and I'm much better off without. And I felt that way. And I do think that the universe is indeed so benevolent because it came very back very, very gradually very kindly in a way that you could and in a way it. that I could take it in. And, and so mm. it's, you know, I feel really grateful that uh, my, you know, my, my spirituality was reawakened and I was able to um, connect with it on my own terms in a way that's really mm. healing and non-triggering for me and all those things now. Um, but Absolutely. I just wanted to throw that in you. If you're feeling like, nope, 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 that is normal and it's okay. And just give it time, you know, give it time. Yeah. And maybe after some time, open yourself up to some possibilities. Don't necessarily, you know, listen to different things. And that was mine. I was like, I just was, I eventually one day decided I was ready to at least listen to other people's concepts. Mm -hmm. So go on. Sorry. No, I, you know, I think, um, you know, I'm kind of, jumping now to something else that I think keeps us um, trapped in the future. Um, and that is a, a fear of the vulnerability of sitting with whatever emotions come up mm. in the present. And I was thinking about um, my favorite person, Brene Brown, <laughs> um, and her book, Daring Greatly, yes. and how she speaks about the, the courage that it takes to lean in to joy oh. um, as an emotion, you know, as, as an experience. And she speaks about joy being one of the most vulnerable um, emotions you can feel because you're constantly waiting for, as she calls it, the other, other shoe, shoe to, to drop. drop. Oh my gosh, she says that because I've said that my entire life. And that is another, okay. well, I've always said the other shoe to drop part. Like, and I just looked in my Facebook memories of yesterday and yesterday I don't know how many years ago I know Ella was born I didn't go back to read the the, the blog post but I posted uh -huh. a post that said um, allowing myself to be happy on allowing myself to be happy oh. and I realized how I just realized I just remember I didn't even read the post I should go back and read it but that was the first time I initially realized that I was constantly guarded as to happiness and I think it's another thing that people with childhood trauma experience that mm. because a kid's sort of like basic state is just usually to be carefree and happy and when absolutely and when your grown-up who's supposed to be protecting you and facilitating that happiness keeps interfering with that you do kind of get messed up in your mind to expect something to go horribly wrong every time you feel a sense of carefree joy Exactly. And then and you it's, almost it's not a yourself, state you're comfortable with. Yes, so yourself you, you don't self trust sabotage. it. You don't trust it, and you actually start to look. And and what you do is that you start to look for the bad thing because then it's accessible, mm -hmm. and then you're in control of it. So if you well, scan the the horizon for okay, this is a bad thing, but it's something that that I can cope with, and you never actually allow yourself that happiness. Absolutely, because you're always looking for a, a bad thing that you can actually cope with. Isn't that and, horrible? And, it's it's so true you know Brene talks about it being a, a form of um armament yes. where you you arm your arm how do you say this you arm yourself against that horrible feeling of joy being taken away or the rug being pulled out exactly and yes. she says some people would rather stay in a perpetual state of disappointment mm. than deal with the painful vulnerability of going in and out of joy, joy yes. because nothing nothing lasts um and what i what i find myself doing is when i feel joy i try to grasp onto it and hang on to it like you know like an animal that's trying to run away yeah like now um, i have joy i must keep joy yes and i have to <laughs> contrive this feeling again i have to have it for the um, entire time <laughs> you know just this morning i was on um, I went for a walk and um, as I was walking down the road, perfectly clear sky. And I'm sorry to say that when you're in Bowling Green on a spray, <laughs> on but perpetually gray be sky. beautifully clear sky. I was just hearing all these nature sounds, beautiful birds all around me. And Lovely. I looked out over this 
valley with you know all the different colors and it was just this incredibly serene moment mm, and lovely. i was like wow and immediately immediately in the back of my head started the 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 process of how do i make sure i get more of this in the future mm. and i started thinking you know when we end up buying a house we really need to buy a house in you know, like a, a rural area. And then I'm like, okay, but, the, and I immediately And then you started, go out of your Zen moment into this exactly. whole planning, obsessive, vague Planning anxiety. and how much money do I need to earn in order to, and which community do I want to live in? Oh, There's the pros and, and cons of this it. one and that one. Yes. And it's gone. And then we squander this moment of like exquisite peace and joy for, I want to make sure because I get more of the hoarding. You the were hoarding. so... Yes, we're hoarding it because we have a sense of scarcity that, yes. you know, God or the universe is never going to send another one like this. Mm. We don't know when it's going to happen again. So I've got to, I've got to, you know, remember how I used to hoard sweets. Um, you know, it, it was part of that scarcity mentality. I would have Easter eggs. I was so scared of the Easter eggs running out that I wouldn't <laughs> eat them until several months later when they were all, um, you know, flaky and weird and and tasted gross um and and what we've got to lean into is the discomfort of saying this is a beautiful moment it is going to go away mm. but i trust that there will be other moments just as wonderful and better you remind not me exactly like this but there will be others you reminded me of this moment when i used to sit on my window seat in johannesburg uh, i had a beautiful bedroom and i had this beautiful window seat that overlooked a gorgeous west facing window and i used to watch the sunset often i've always been really drawn to aesthetic beauty just of all kinds even mm. as a very small child and i remember being so much wiser as a child than i have been in the interim because i remember looking at this gorgeous sunset and because i didn't have access to a camera I didn't have this like must take a photo, which <laughs> is not mm. my go-to. <laughs> and I remember writing in my little journal and saying, I love the sunset. And it's so amazing because even when I think it can't get more beautiful, another more beautiful one comes along the next day. Wow. And I wow. remember just feeling so healed by those sunsets and just loving those moments. And now when I see a sunset, my first thing is take a photo. Damn, why does the why does the iPhone just never it doesn't do it justice? Mm, come on now, mm, come on. Let me mm. adjust the settings. Or, I couldn't capture I, this and put it in a bottle. And then I put it in my phone, and it's usually disappointing to me. And so, and mm. I don't post it anywhere, and so nobody else gets the joy since I've captured this so like diligently. And I'm not just taking it in and breathing it in as I did as a child when I had mm. that faith, and another one's going to come because I didn't have that, that hoarding mentality so. because I had no way to hoard it. Yeah. <laughs> so you know that that's a really, I think that is such a um, even even taking photos all the time is one way in which we try to hoard experiences and we're Absolutely. not present as a, just as a default and you know i think this there's, there's a difference between just kind of okay let's just go through the motion of taking a photo so we've got this and trying to take the photo that captures the essence of, of the moment, moment. <laughs> there's a vast difference because just a, a, a randomly taken photo will still remind you of the wonder of the moment Whereas yes. what you're trying to do with the perfect photo is you're trying to capture the soul of the moment and it's uncapturable. Oh, and so brilliant. in, in, brilliant. in months to come, when you look back at that perfectly engineered photo, what you're actually taken back to was your attempt to capture the soul of something uncapturable. You're not taken back to the essence of what actually happened. You're taken back to your effort to try and rein it in. Um, and, and so, yeah, there's, there's a big, there's and, a big and difference. And it all between comes them. down to our desire to control that mm. which we have no control over. And the surrender that we need, we find this joy and this peace in ourselves and our purpose and all of it in the surrender to the kind universe, in the surrender yeah. and understanding that the universe actually is benevolent and not hostile. And people sort of wave around and go, but look at all this. <laughs> Look at all mm. this. Of course, it's hostile. 
So why, how do you, what are some like really kind of tangible ways in which you remind yourself that the universe is not in fact hostile, even though things are hard for you? I know you've gone through a lot so, in the last you know, months. The way I, the way I get around that is looking at the darkest moments of my life yeah. and seeing the beauty that unfolds as a result of who I become from those dark moments. So when I look at what I value about myself as a person, my empathy, my ability to connect with and really kind of sit with a person in their pain, um, you know, et cetera, et cetera. When when I look at these things that make me glad about who I am, Mm -hmm. those things were all born through suffering and adversity, every single one of them. And so if that's true for me, I extrapolate the same out for the rest of the universe. If we will allow ourselves to see it, we will see that our most abject suffering was the least suffering required for us to learn the wondrous things that it teaches us. Yes, you can close yourself off to that and become sort of surrounded with bitterness and resentment and how the world is such a bad place. But if you open your eyes to what your adversity is making of you, you will see that actually there's benevolence and, and, and grace in every difficult circumstance you experience. So that's, that's how I do it. And there really is an enormous amount of grace, even in the suffering. If you, if you are sort of tuned into that, so mm. if you are like in a state and you know what, it's so easy to get blithe about this because I'm not currently in a state of PTSD tor- turmoil, because when you are in a state of PTSD turmoil, you are actually experiencing your body and your emotions are experiencing the horror of the event. And so and don't... I don't ever want to be blithe about saying, you know, when you're miserable, just look for the good, you guys. No, because in that moment, you stop believing in the good. It's a, it's... And it wouldn't be a trial if you had, if you you had know, that... recourse to those happy feelings. Right. But in the brief, when you come up for air and there is, there are those moments, there is always that reprieve here, there you know, specks of it. Sometimes just enough not to die. (laughs) Just enough not to die. Genuinely. Mm. There are those moments and I just, you know, you pop one popped in, something pops into my mind when I was having, it wasn't too long ago. It was last year. um, Early last year, I was having one of the most awful, frightening, immersive PTSD spirals. I felt so entirely alone. And, you know, it was just, it makes almost takes my breath away to think about it again. And then, so I always, I try to go back there every now and again to, to maintain compassion and humility, because when you're out of things for long enough, it's easy to be like, everybody snap out of it, you know? And I try to just now and again, just go back and remember it just for a brief moment. And it was just so excruciating. And I remember you said to me something like you will always have, just one little lifeboat you will have mm. one little thing that makes it bearable and the one thing that made Your it bearable was knowing that my escape route that i could sleep i remember being reminded kirsty you can go to sleep now a little mm. voice in my head and i'm getting for clamp thinking about it because that sounds really sad um but there was a voice that said you do have a choice now you can go to sleep and I remember my husband being so kind to me and saying, what can I bring you? And me saying to him, I think I just need to go to sleep and sleep through this. And it was a different kind of thing because I used to have these PTSD episodes where I just shut down and sleep wasn't even, um, Constructive. it wasn't an option. It was just mm. something that happened to my body and sleep was uh, another yeah. level of the horror. When I'd sleep, mm, I would just mm. be in a, a even worse turmoil. Mm. But this time, I just remember going, I have this one little resource in my arsenal and it's to sleep. And he said to me, yes, I think you need to do that. And he gave me a big hug, tucked me in. And that was it. That was it. It's, it was all there was. But I remember thinking, okay, thank goodness. I don't have to die. There's just this mm-hmm. one thing. And there was a choice. Mm-hmm. I did sleep. I woke up not feeling, a hundred, you know, not maybe For sure. I was 10% better. But then you, you I, had I enough air to, to stay alive that, when you woke 20% up 20% better. And the day after that, I was 30% better. And, and, you know, and now I'm good. 
So there is always that grace. And so if you like, even when you have that moment, I remember saying to myself, this is what Seth said. Okay, there's always going to be a life. There's always going to be that tiny escape route. This is this. This is it. And by no means was it a happy, cheerful moment. Mm-hmm. It was no means it's like glorious. I'm happy now. It was just staying present and sometimes staying present. And let's get to that. Staying present is excruciating sometimes, right? Excruciating. Well, it's, 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 it, yeah, it's incredibly painful. And, um, you know, I just have so many thoughts going through my head. But immediately I think of um, the trauma expert, Peter Levine, and how he describes um, trauma in human beings as being as as coming about you know he describes the natural world how um you know an impala can be grazing um it smells a lion it perks up it's in high alert it can be chased by the lion it shakes it off physically and then goes back to grazing and there's no sustained trauma Mm. um whereas with humans it gets trapped um in, in our bodies because we won't allow ourselves to experience it as it really is, we do the cerebral overriding where we say, I'm fine now. It's okay. It could have been worse, et cetera, et cetera. And so for him, healing has a lot to do with allowing yourself to be present with the physical sensation that the trauma induces within you. So although being present with uncomfortable stuff like depression, et cetera, although it can be really scary and incredibly hard, it's actually the route to healing. Because when we dissociate from that pain, mm-hmm. we trap it and it, it, it remains frozen within us. When we allow ourselves to connect with the pain and experience it in all of its horror, it flows through us and we're actually freed from it. A lot um, sooner. A lot right? faster. A lot Absolutely. faster. Absolutely. So how does that look to be, okay, because there's a difference between, you know, like we, we keep talking about recognizing the kindness of the universe and then also accepting pain and going, this is pain. This hurts a lot. So how does it, how does it look? What does I've it got, look like when you get a wave of depression and you have to deal with it and process it in a healthy way? How? I've got this, uh, I've got a friend um, back home in, in Johannesburg. She's a life coach. Right. And she told me that during, you know, an everyday, uh, you know, an ordinary week, she's incredibly busy, does a lot of corporate work heavy deadlines, stress, all of that stuff. She says she will start to feel that there's something inside of her that needs to be sat with. Mm -hmm. And she says, I don't have the time right now to sit with it. And so she kind of puts it on hold for a moment. But then she says, then that Saturday, I will clear up my diary and I will get into bed, which for her is a safe nurturing place. And she says, I will then make the time to sit with whatever it is wait for it to come up, experience it, and allow it to flow through me. And if that means sitting and sobbing for a few hours, so be it. Or if it means sitting with the discomfort of, you know, whatever, um, you know, a bad client experience, whatever it may be, she creates time. And I think that's what it looks like. And it goes to um, a person's practice of meditation or stillness or being in the present. And that's something we wanted to touch on was the power of, of conscious, consciously practicing meditation um, to strengthen your ability to stay present. Yes. Such a, such a life changer, such a game changer for me. When you were talking about her doing that, it reminded me of kids and our natural, you know, I think that we're, unless we're very early messed with kids, when they fall or they're upset about something, what do they do? They cry, right? They cry. Absolutely. They have the full expression of that emotion. They go for it. They go for it. Mm. And then it's and we try and then. tell them not to. Yes. We try and say, no, 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 no. Smile. Come on. Be a brave girl. Be a brave you're boy. Fine. I'll you're give fine. you you're some fine. candy. Yeah. You're Instead fine. of sitting oh. with them and saying, yes, this is sore. Ow. Look at that knee. Ow. And the kid wails and howls. And, and 10 minutes a- later, they're playing And it's because they did process it. And when you, and I just want, I know we need to get to the meditation thing, but I think this is so important because it was huge for me. So helpful to me. When I um, found out my therapist was leaving, I I immediately went into that disassociated state Mm. uh, because she was my safe 
sort of mother figure at an incredibly very volatile time for me and it was an incredible loss right and mm. I immediately was like well guess I'm glad I'm fine guess I'm glad I'm good now and I went on like that for what a while mm. and then one day um, she said something that made me realize that I had to process this and I wasn't fine and mm. I went I called you and I went I was watching Ella at the pool and you did a little exercise with me where you said you need to let this small child, this small Kirsty, cry. Hmm. You need to sit next to her and let her cry. And I'm not a crier and I don't do not cry in public typically. And I sat at the pool wailing like a banshee. <laughs> did I not? It, it wasn't audible, no. <laughs> It's, to in, me, in your, it was the most. In your mind, it seemed worse. Yeah. To me, I was like, "They're going to take me away. <laughs> They're going to put me away now." No, it was just a good, healthy cry. It was just a good, healthy cry. It seems super dramatic to me, but it allowed me to move on. And I think I had one more of those big cries. Was it two more? One more of those big cries on the day that she actually did. I see, saw her for the last time. Mm. And and so while it was a terribly terribly sad event for me the allowing myself to cry in a healthy childlike way and my inner child was feeling that pain cleared that out so much more quickly than mm. I could have otherwise done so that reparenting you know, thing at some point I've, we're going to come back to that we've often spoken about how in African culture at an African funeral people will cry audibly they'll wail um, they will mourn, you know, they'll mourn in an open and free way. And then yes. in a Western, at a Western funeral, everyone's sniffing and trying and to hold back the dabbing tears. delicately and taking tons and tons of what's of, of antidepressants and, Absolutely. you know, Xanax and stuff like Absolutely. that. And I'm like, if you can't fall apart at your husband's funeral, where, where, where is it that it's going to be okay? Like, well, you I know, then you go, then you go for therapy to let it all out. What could have been let out in the moment by grieving in a healthy and natural to, way. And the thing is, you give others the permission to do it. But Absolutely. it's so true. And I noticed the physicality at, at, at African morning things. The whole body's involved, right? And there's Absolutely. that ululating and the throwing of the bodies around. You know, people are like, their limbs are loose. Well, I remember one of the first African funerals I went to feeling quite disturbed because the, the daughter of the man who had passed away was essentially screaming. Um, and from my Western context, it's like with someone, you know, almost like take her out and give her a Xanax we, kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, can somebody knock her out? And, uh, and like, are you situation. for real? Huh? This is someone whose father has just passed away. And yeah, that is an absolutely that appropriate response. Yes. Yes. But, you know, we have this culture of, you know. It's fine. Let, let yourself be seen when, you're, when you've mastered your emotions um, and do not be seen. And that's why people fall apart in private and take drugs and, you know, all of these things, because they're, they're essentially being told by society, go be ugly in your bedroom. And when you're ready to be nice and friendly and in control of your emotions, come it's out wrong. and society will, you know, will accept you. And it's, it's a terrible message. And this is the gateway. This is the gateway to all you know, substance abuse and other types of, of, of numbing, you know, numbing Absolutely. problems, addictions and all that. Can I, can I just quickly mention one thing and then, and then I'm Please kind do. of done. And then we um, should wrap it up. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, when I was in high school, I read um, one of my set works was a book called a day in the life, a day in the life of Ivan Denisovich, I think it was. It's by Solzhenitsyn. Yes. And it's the story of a man in a, um, a gulag um, a prison, you know, up in Siberia, um, in Russia, and how he survives one day of being in this concentration camp. Yes, I and love that. I, I wrote a paper on that book. And really, for me, what stood out was his ability to triumph and survive what killed, you know, most Definitely people. Others. Yes. Was his ability to shift 
his appreciation to the tiny things. So he describes the victory of getting an extra portion of bread because he had somehow, you know, worked the system or I, I can't remember the details, but it was those tiny, tiny things. And in essence, what he did was he saw the universe as benevolent. You know, he never uses those words, but he saw the universe or saw the benevolence of the universe in an extra portion, you know, an extra 200 grams of bread. And thinking, he wasn't obsessing hey. about how he was going to get the next portion. He, and he also wasn't too. obsessing over the fact that it was only 200 grams. Right. It was, you know, it was barely enough to keep his body alive. But it was for him. It was a daily triumph to yes. get it. Um, and, you know, because I, I thought of what you were saying, you know, when we're in our extremities, mm. it's hard to see that that, you know, God or the universe is benevolent. But if we can shift our thinking to look for the mercies and the moments of grace, in spite of the horror, we will find them. And that's what will carry us back to the times of plenty, where the grace and mercy is so easy to find. I love that. That's a beautiful note to close on. Um, thank you so, so, so much. Pleasure. We thank have you. to keep doing these because there was a bunch of other brilliant stuff that we didn't get to that you and I sure. talked about before. But yeah. I love this. This was wonderful. And thank you so much for all you've done to help me. You are a godsend. And um, yeah, if you want to get in touch with us, please do. Um, Seth is seth.randall at gmail. Randall.seth. Sorry, my bad. No, that's fine. I wasn't the first one to think of it. It's R-A-N-D-A-L-L-dot-S-E-T-H at gmail.com. I am um, able to be contacted. If you're listening to this podcast, you will probably know where to get to me. Um, but we are very, very um, keen to hear your input. Um, any questions or suggestions would be wonderful. Thank you again, Seth. Really Thank appreciate you. it. Have a wonderful day. You too. Thanks. <laughs> Bye. Bye.